amen, amen. Thank you, Ron. Can we just give a hand clap of praise to our Lord and Savior this morning? Can we do that? <clears throat> amen, amen, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, would you please take them out? And I want you to go to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11 is where we are um, as we are working our way through uh, the book of uh, Acts. And as you are turning there, I just want to say a, a couple of things. Number one, it's, it's good to see some faces that I haven't seen in a while. I know some college students have come back, and it was, it was good to see Jackson Dodgen on stage leading a, a worship playing guitar this morning. I say this because a, a few weeks ago, Jackson was here. I don't know where Jackson is right now. Where is he? Uh, he's hiding because he knows what I'm about to say. Because uh, um, a couple weeks ago he was here and I wasn't preaching. And so I talked to him after the service and Jackson said, Pastor, man, I was really li- looking forward to hearing you preach. And I said, man, I'm sorry. He said, listen, Pastor, every night before I go to bed, I lay in bed, listen to your sermons, and they put me to sleep. I said, well, you know, at least you're honest with me, you know. Um, I said, I see that every Sunday morning, so at least you do that uh, when, you're, when you're going to bed. But anyways, um, it's good to see many faces that I haven't seen in a while. I'm here for family and Thanksgiving, so glad that you're here. Glad to have my father-in-law, Angela's uh, dad, here with me and with us this week. And so it's just good to be around family. Amen. Some of them, right? Uh, but, but it is good, and I really do hope that you've had a really, really good um, uh, Thanksgiving week. Well, I've titled today's message, Marks of a Thankful Church. Marks of a Thankful Church. And let me share with you uh, a couple of reasons, three reasons why I'm preaching on uh, this uh, topic. Number one, the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that we are to give thanks in all circumstances. Amen. And what does all mean? It means all. We are to give thanks in all circumstances. And so whenever you ask yourself, Man, what, what, you know, what is God's will for my life? Number one, God's will for your life is that you give thanks in all circumstances. Um, and so that's why I want to preach this message. The second reason I want to preach this message is because we live in an ungrateful and critical world. Would you be in agreement with that? We live in an ungrateful, critical world. Um, just yesterday, I was um, scrolling through the cesspool of Twitter, and, or X, or whatever it's called now, I'm not really sure, but it just so happened I came across a comment about our church from somebody not even associated with our church, doesn't know our church, doesn't know me, doesn't know us at all, and they said some things that were not true of our church, said some things that weren't true about, about me as, as a pastor and about our ministries, and so I did what every godly man does. Man, I just started typing out a response. And I hit delete. And I typed it again. I did that three times. But finally I said, you know what, I'm not gonna give that person the time of day because they don't know who we are. And, um, I, and, and really, who would criticize this church? We're perfect, right? I mean, we are perfect. Now, if you think we're perfect, then you probably believe that Texas Tech and Auburn are gonna play in the national championship. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. Isn't that right, Britain? That's right. That's right. Britain wore a beautiful shirt today, but um, Listen, we live in an ungrateful and critical world. 
But the Bible says we need to be thankful in all circumstances. And the third reason I want to talk about, uh, about the marks of a thankful church is I just want to let you know, church, I am thankful for you. I'm thankful for you. Several years ago, nine years ago, you welcomed in me and my family as a first time senior pastor, and you have welcomed us into your family, and I am so grateful for that. So I say thank you. And I tell you this because this year has been a phenomenal year for our church. And I shared what I'm about to share with you at last Sunday's um, Thanksgiving uh, uh, fellowship that we had as a church, but let me just share with you some things that God's been doing in our church that, that causes us to give thanks. Now, if you've heard this information, act like you've never heard it before, amen? And if you haven't heard this before, then celebrate with us, okay? This year in 2024, uh, our worship attendance, over, as we have averaged over 625, which has been our highest average attendance in over 12 years. God's doing some great things. Uh, budgetarily wise, for the fifth consecutive year, we've had a surplus, which means you are a giving church, and I say thank you for that. I, our Sunday small group attendance, it has been the highest average attendance, again, in over a dozen years. Our first students, our student ministry, our, our, the ministry continues to grow, and, and it's, so, it's growing so much that, that our students are running out of space in our student ministry. And we need some more space for our students. Amen, students? Oh, come on, students. That was your chance. You need more space, right? Oh, my gosh. Did you hear that? I'm thankful for the excitement in the students' voices this morning. Um, this year, in, in, our, in our children's ministry, our first children, we have the best children's ministry around. Amen? Uh, we really, really do. And this year, in 2024, so far, and we have a couple more weeks left, this year we have had 107 people join our church. And here's the real exciting thing. 45 have come by letter, by letter, 15 by statement, and you ready for this? 47 people have been baptized this year at First Baptist Church. That's the largest number in 15 years. Church, you're doing good. And I say thank you for being who you are. And all I have to say right now is God is good. Amen? Amen. Amen. God is good. And we have reasons to be thankful. Well, let's look at our text and see some marks of a thankful church. Look with me in Acts chapter 11. Uh, we're going to read verses 19 through 30. If you don't have uh, a copy of God's Word, you can follow along on the screen. There are uh, a few Bibles uh, scattered throughout uh, the pew backs or the seat backs in front of you, but follow along as we read God's Word together. Verse 19, and it reads, So then, those who were scattered because of the persecution uh, that occurred in the connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus 
and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. Now stop there for just a second and let me give you uh, just context of where we are going within this text. You remember we spent the past three weeks in Acts chapter 10 verses one through Acts 11, 18. And we know in those verses uh, that Peter retells a story three times. You remember that story of his vision of God sending down a sheet with all of these animals on the sheet and Peter and God says to Peter get up rise and eat Peter thinks it's about food it's not about food God says I'm taking the gospel to the Gentile nations and you need to be the one to go do that in Acts 10 through Acts 11 18 this is what we find out that Peter takes it takes the message to the to the Gentiles, a, a, a man by the name of, of Cornelius in Caesarea. And so we read that story and we know that that is part of the fulfilling of Acts 1-8. If you remember Acts 1-8, um, Jesus says to the disciples, he says to us as well, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit, what? Comes upon you. And then you will be my witnesses, where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to where? To all of the uttermost parts of the world, which really means the Gentile nations. So Genesis, uh, Acts 10 and Acts 11, this is part of the fulfilling of going to the nations. And so what Luke does here in Acts 11 verse 19, what he does is he picks up the story that began in Acts chapter seven and eight when the church is scattered. You remember this, Acts 7, Stephen is martyred. Acts 7, uh, the church begins to splinter out and to spread apart. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says this, Saul agreed to put Stephen to death. That's what it says. And then it says this, that on that day a great persecution took place within the church in Jerusalem. And it says this, and they were all scattered. So what Luke is doing is he's bringing us back to the church is supposed to scatter. The church isn't supposed to stay where it is. Are you with me this morning? The church is scattered, so Luke picks it up, and what he's going to describe in verses 20 through 30 is he's going to describe the founding of the church at Antioch. Now this is a big deal, because the church at Antioch is really the mother church of the New Testament. Not the church in Jerusalem, but here, the church in Antioch, right here is where we see the gospel go on mission. We will see later in this text and later in the book of Acts that Antioch, it becomes a mission sending agency. And we're gonna see that really from this point on, Antioch becomes that church. And what I want us to see this morning is there are some marks of a, of a biblical church, there are some marks of a New Testament church, there are marks of a thankful church found in this church at Antioch. Well, verse number 20, and it says this. Talk about those who are scattered. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch. And they began speaking to the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and so they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. And then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and he began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he, Barnabas, was a good man, and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. 
And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called, what were they called in Antioch? Christians. Verse 27, now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and he began to indicate by the spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. Now that last line in verse number 28, that is an important timestamp to tell us when Luke wrote his book Acts. We know from history that Claudius reigns around 43 to 46, 47, 48 AD. We know that there was a famine in the world around that time as well. And if anybody here a history buff, anybody a history buff? Yeah, nobody likes history. Thank you for raising your hand, that one person. I appreciate it. Well, here's a pretty cool, interesting fact here about Claudius. Rome invaded Britain, which we know as England and Scotland today, in the year 43 AD, and guess who that emperor was? Claudius, right here in Acts chapter 11, verse 28. This man is known all throughout uh, world history. This is a big deal, and there's also another way that you and I can prove that the Bible is true, because the Bible connects world history, amen? Don't you feel better now that you know world history? Look at your neighbor and say, man, I am so ready to go home now because I have been fulfilled. Excitement is generating. Verse 29, and in the proportion that any of the disciples had any means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brothers and sisters living in Judea, Judea according to, uh, because of the famine. Verse 30, and they did this, sending it in charge of Barnabas, and Saul to the elders. Won't you pray with me, please? Father, um, thank you for the reading of your word. Uh, I pray that as we look at your text, I pray, oh God, that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your law. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that, Holy Spirit, I thank you for being present here this morning. You're always present because you're omnipresent. But thank you for touching us today. And I pray as we continue to look at your text, Holy Spirit, come and speak. Come and make your truth known to us so that when we leave today, when we leave here in a few moments, that we will leave changed, encouraged, and ready to tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody says, let me share, th share three things with you this morning regarding marks of a thankful church. Number one, I want you to write this down. Number one, a thankful church is a going church. A church that is thankful is a church that goes. Look back at verses 19 through 21. Uh, verse 19 is what you would call a hinge verse. Think of a door hinge. What does a hinge on a door do? It, it opens and it closes a door. And here on verse number 19, the door flies open for the gospel to go to all Gentile people. It started in Acts 10 and Acts 11 through 18. Now in verse number 19, that door has, has flung open so that the gospel can go to all the world, uh, all the people of the world. Verse number 19, if you, if you want to write in the margin of your Bible, you need to write this. This is a major turning point in the book of Acts. 
This is a major turning point because here, again, the gospel is going to those who so desperately need it, and God is starting to say, you know what, I'm not, I'm Jews, if you don't listen to my message, I'm going to go to those who will receive it. This is what's taking place right here in verse number 19. And as I said earlier, why? Because Antioch becomes that mission-sending agency because they believe that the church is supposed to take the gospel and the church is supposed to be on the go. Now let me share with you two things I want you to notice in this text about a church that goes. The first thing I want you to notice is this, it's in verse 19 and 20, is the church that goes does so in their everyday conversation. Meaning this, the church that is on the go, the church that shares the gospel does so in everyday conversation. Look at verses 19 and 20 at the end of of each verse. You will see the word speaking. Everybody see that? Underline that, circle that word, speaking. Verse 19 says, those who are scattered, speaking the word. Verse 20, there were some of those who came to Antioch speaking to the Greeks. Now, that word speaking, let's do some Greek here. Let's Greek out, shall we? That word speaking, it's the Greek word laleo. Now, laleo, it means this. It means to speak in everyday conversation as you go along the road. That's what it means. It means everyday, normal conversation. What it means is that the church in Antioch, those early, the early church, wherever they went, whomever they came across, they shared the gospel. It does not mean here that they stood within, the, uh, within a sanctuary or an auditorium and had a formal presentation of the gospel. That's not what the early church is talking about right here. What it's talking about is that it was everyday conversations. Wherever you went, you shared the good news of Jesus Christ with everybody you came in contact with. One commentator uh, said this, the pulpit of these Christian saints was the marketplace, it was the backyards, it was the porches as they shared the simple gospel in simple terms so the average man could understand. So the early church, a thankful church, was a church that was going and it happened because the people talked about the gospel wherever they went, amen? Wherever they went, any conversation, they're gonna talk about Jesus. The second thing we see in this text about a going church is this. In verse number 20, we see this, that the sharing of the gospel is done by those who shall remain nameless. Look at verse number 20. We see what the text tells us. Verse 20, it says this. But there were some of them. You see that? But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene. But it never tells us their names. You see that? You never know who these men are. All we know is where they came from. All we know that they had a life-changing experience with Jesus Christ, and they committed their life to telling others about Jesus. But in the annuals of the Bible and of all of church history, we will never know their names. And folks, sometimes the world's greatest missionaries, we will never know their name. Yet we live in a world... It's teaching our children 
who's teaching our grandchildren, and we as adults, we have fallen for the lie that we need our name in the lights. Are you with me? Are you with me? We're falling for lies that said that we're a big deal. In all humility, I want you to look at your neighbor and say this, you're really not that big of a deal. (laughs) Biblically speaking, all right? You're really not, we're not. And I think one of the things that we can learn from right here in verse number 20 is this, is that we should do our part for the gospel and choose to be nameless. That you choose to be nameless. Do you know why we can be nameless? Because salvation means this, that you have died to yourself. Which means you no longer live for yourself. You no longer live for your desires. Because you know why? Those have died. Because when we go through baptism, we've done 47 of those this year, and we explain this in baptism, that when you walk into the baptistry, when you walk into the baptism waters, when you walk in, that is a picture of your old self. What does that mean? That old self means the sin of, of, of the flesh. That means the old nature. That means before Christ, when you lived for your name, when you lived for money, when you lived for what the world offers, that's the old self. That's the old nature. But when you are convicted by the Holy Spirit that you are a sinner in need of mercy and grace that can be only given by your acceptance of what Jesus did for you on the cross of Calvary, by dying for your sins, by being buried for three days, but on the third day rising again, you need salvation, which means you die to yourself. And when you get into the waters and you are taken under the water and you're held under the water for 45 minutes, (laughs) we want to make sure you're really dead. I'm just joking. But when you take yourselves under the water and we baptize you and you go all the way under, what that means is what that's a symbol of, that's a symbol of you dying to the flesh. Because that's what Christ asks you to do. You die to the flesh. That you die to your name. That you die to yourself. And then whenever whoever's baptizes you, raises you up, when you are raised up, you're identifying with the new nature, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Which you live for a new name, you live for a new purpose, you live for a new goal to make his name the name that only matters, not your name. Verse 20 says, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, and they went preaching Jesus. Church, one of the things about being a thankful church that goes is this, that you, do, you don't care who gets the glory other than Jesus. Are you with me, church? A thankful church is a going church. Here's the second thing I want you to see this morning. Second thing I want you to see in verses 22 through 26 is this, a thankful church is a growing church. Not only does a thankful church go, not only does a New Testament church go and share the gospel, the second thing that a, go, that a thankful church does is they are a growing church. Look at verse number 24. At the end of verse number 24, it says this, uh, 
and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Or according to our text, how did the church grow? How did the church grow according to our text in verses 22 through verse 26? Well, according to our text, the church, the early church, did two things. Godly leaders encouraged the church, and godly leaders taught the church. Godly leaders encouraged, and godly leaders taught the church. Look at verse number 22. It says this, that news about this early church reached the ears of the church of Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. What do we know about Barnabas? If you were to flip back to Acts chapter 4, verse 36, it tells us about Barnabas. Barnabas' name is this. He was the son of, anybody know? Encouragement. So guess who encouraged the church? Barnabas did. Barnabas encouraged the church. Now look what he did. Look at verse 23 and verse 24. Just walk through this and look at what Barnabas did for the church as he encouraged them. Verse 23 says this, when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God. The Greek literally means he arrived and he just observed. He didn't take over. He didn't try to change. He just looked and he observed what was going on and he looked for God's grace in the life of people. And he looked where God was working and he went to them and he encouraged them. Do you see that? That's what it says. He went and he witnessed the grace of God. Folks, that would be a great place for us to start whenever we come to a gathering, whenever we come to maybe Sunday small groups, that we would come and we begin to look in the lives of other people and see where God is working, and we encourage them where God is working. And when you encourage them, you say, you know, I see God working in your life. I see God doing this. Folks, that's encouragement, amen? Okay. Maybe it's discouragement, I don't know, maybe He was an encourager because he saw God in the life of other people. What it says also in verse 23, it says that he was joyful. I see Barnabas living a life with a smile on his face. He loved it when he saw God move. He loved it. It says he rejoiced. He rejoiced with what God was doing. And it says this, he encouraged them. Uh, that word encourage is the Greek word parakaleo, uh, which is very close to paraclete, Paraclete is the name of the Holy Spirit, and what that means is somebody comes alongside alongside and encourages you. Barnabas comes alongside the people and says, you can do it. One of my uh, favorite um, authors and pastors is a man by the name of Chuck Swindoll, Um, and he said this about encouragement, and I think it's on the screen as well. Um, You might need um, uh, glasses to see it. Maybe it's a big quote. There you go. It says this, as follow along, it says this, encouragement is what new Christians need, lots of encouragement. He, Barnabas, didn't draw out a list of do's and don'ts or mark up a local map with places to avoid around Antioch. He encouraged. Like an athletic coach, an encourager challenges without condemning, instructs without lecturing, inspires without condescending, and helps one another toward excellence. Barnabas, like a coach encouraging and challenging an athlete to reach a particular goal, urged the new believers in Antioch to grow in grace while remaining true to their Savior. We all need encouragement. Amen? 
We all need to be encouraged. We all need to hear these words. Man, you're doing good. Hang in there. It's going to be okay. Yeah, the world may be beating you down, but you know what? You hang in there. It's going to be okay. We all need encouragement. Uh, William Barclay, uh, a great theologian who wrote about 100 years ago, said this about encouragement. He said, one of the highest of human duties is the duty of encouragement. I love what he says. He says, it is easy to laugh at man's ideas. It is easy to pour cold water on their enthusiasm. It is easy to discourage others. The world is full of discouragers. Isn't that true? That was written over 100 years ago. We have a Christian duty to encourage one another. Many a time a word of praise or thanks or appreciation or cheer has kept a man on his feet. Blessed is the man who speaks such a word. That's Barnabas. That's what Barnabas did. He was an encourager. Later on in verse 23 and 24, it says he was a good man. He was full of the spirit. He was full of the faith. And here's what the text says. The text says the church grew because Barnabas was an encourager. Do you think a church that encourages is apt to grow more so than a church that doesn't encourage? Yeah, I would believe so. We see that in the early church, that we need to be encouragers, meaning this, that we don't need to be like those people who are criticizing, who have no idea who they were, right? Let's, let's encourage fellow believers. I mean, life is hard. We all make mistakes. And nine times out of the 10, we know when we make a mistake, amen? That one of you is always perfect, amen? Amen, yeah, yeah. We know it when we make a mistake, amen? A lot of times, we don't need somebody to come along and beat us across the head with that mistake. Are you with me? Now, sometimes we do need some admonition. But a lot of times, you just need somebody to come along beside you and say, you know what? Yeah. We know what happened. Come on. Let's go. Let's forgive one another. Ask Christ to forgive you. Move on. Because here's what I know about forgiveness. God himself said this, that I will remove your sins as far as the east is from the west. If God does that, what good does it do for you to hold on to the sins? Don't hold on to those. 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you all of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you've confessed God says, I forgive you by the blood of Jesus. It's, he remembers it no more. Quit bringing it up. Receive his forgiveness. Receive his restoration. Rest in the peace. Rest in the forgiveness that he offers. Well, pastor, that's hard. Welcome to the club. That's why I need you to encourage me and why I need to encourage you to rest in his forgiveness. We all need one another. Amen? The early church grew because of godly leadership that encouraged people. It also grew because they taught God's word. Look at verse number 25 and 26. And and Barnabas left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought Saul to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church. And what did they do? They taught. 
they taught, uh, they taught the new believers what the Old Testament said, they taught the new believers what Jesus did, and they began to set in motion what needs to be taught in the church. Saul, we know him as Paul, was a masterful teacher. And here's what we see in the early church. Teaching or growth requires teaching. Now, if I've heard this once, I've heard it a thousand times. I've heard the pastor, we don't need more sermons. We don't need more sermons. We need to go serve. And I've heard that before. But let me be as gentle and as encouraging as I can be. That's bad thinking. That's not correct. You got to have both. Because if you don't have the teaching of Scripture and you're just serving, you're just helping a physical need that will go away when eternity comes to their life. That's what you call the social gospel movement. We see that going on today. Let's just meet the physical need. Listen, folks, we've got to meet physical needs in order to meet the spiritual needs. And that requires service, and that requires teaching, which means I have permission from Paul to preach for 95 minutes. That's what that means. <laughs> a thankful church is a going church. A thankful church is a growing church. And here's the last thing. A thankful church is a giving church. A thankful church is a giving church. Look at verses 29 um, through 30, or verse 29. We see and we read that the early church came across a need of their fellow brothers and sisters in Judea. And what they do is they raise up some support, some financial support to take to those in need. The early church was a giving church. That's the example we see. That's the mark of a New Testament church. That's the mark of a thankful church. Because when a church gives, you understand that you are really not the owner of your own money. Amen? Husbands, your wife owns all your money. Amen? <laughs> but biblically, who owns it all? God. He is so gracious to say, I'll let you do 90%. Give 10% to me. And they'll let you do the rest. But a thankful church is a giving church. And with that, let me share with you about our Lottie Moon Christmas offering because this is a time of giving uh, for our church and really for um, our, our culture. But each year we come to what's called the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And well, who was Lottie Moon? Lottie Moon was a, a Southern Baptist missionary to China from 1873 to 1912. And she saw that the world's greatest problem was lostness. She saw the world's greatest problem was lostness. And she felt called to take the good news to China. Do you know where she felt the call to go on the mission field? Right here in the state of Georgia. First Baptist Church, Cartersville. She answered the call to go on the mission field at First Baptist Church, Cartersville, Georgia. Lottie Moon, all four foot three of her. She was called a fireball, is what she was called. And she made her way to China, and she used the sweet aroma of sugar cookies to get people to come into her home. Who knew that cookies could open the door to the gospel? Amen? And she used it. And she shared the gospel with those in China. But at the same time, she began to write letter, letters back to the states, to Southern Baptist churches. And she pleaded with churches, just like us, she pleaded with us to send financial support so that missionaries could go to the uttermost parts of the world. 
Those letters that she wrote back, Southern Baptist Convention, uh, organized, organized those letters together to create what we've called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. And every Christmas season, um, all 45,000 Southern Baptist churches across the United States, we come together for one purpose, to collect funds for 3,500 missionaries across this globe to share the good news of Jesus. Because we as Baptists believe this, and we at First Baptist Church Brunswick believe this, that the world's number one problem isn't the economy. It's really not even hunger. It's really not even uh, sick, uh, physical sickness. The world's number one problem is lostness. Because each day, over 170,000 people die without knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I would call that a problem. Because eternity lasts for a really long time. And each year, we come together, millions of Baptists, to collect our funds and our resources to keep missionaries on the field to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who so desperately need this. And 100% of what you and I give, it goes straight to the mission field. No red tape, no bureaucracy, it just goes straight to the missionaries. Doesn't that sound good? That's a good thing. And it keeps the people on the field. Let me share some things with you, some stats with you from 2022 from the International Mission Board. In 2022, uh, over 122 countries around the world were represented uh, by IMB missionaries, IMB International Mission Board, which is the international missions arm of Southern Baptist. Um, we were in 122 uh, countries. Almost 730,000 people heard the gospel. Almost 179,000 people uh, believed Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior for the first time. There are over 100,000 baptisms. There are over 21,000 new churches started. And there were 67 new people groups who were engaged with the gospel. Well, what does that mean? And when there are about 12,000 people groups in the world. 3,000 of them have, are called unengaged. They, they're not, they haven't been reached with the gospel, which means this, they have no access to the good news of Jesus Christ, meaning they're not in a walking distance of it, they can't hear anything, there's no TV, there's no um, internet, they, they can't hear the gospel. There's over 3,000 people groups who have not uh, been engaged with the gospel. In 2022, Southern Baptist missionaries engaged 67 of them for the very first time. Folks, this is what your funds and your monies have done through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Can we give a hand clap of praise for that? Two weeks ago, um, Ron and I were in a meeting and, and the president of the International Mission Board, uh, Dr. Paul Chitwood, spoke to, to us. And he shared some rather uh, encouraging things, I think, for Georgia Baptists particularly. Over 3,500 um, international missionaries across the world through Southern Baptists, guess who the number one state is for the missionaries? Look at your neighbor and say, Georgia. That's pretty good, isn't it? That's pretty good. And what that means is the state of Georgia, we want to win the world for Jesus. And it comes from people like you and I, like Lottie Moon, who are sitting in the pews, sitting in the chairs, and heard the call to go into the mission field. One of the prayers that I've had ever since I became your pastor was this, that this church 
First Baptist Church Brunswick would raise up pastors and missionaries so that the next generation will fulfill, will fulfill what God's word declares. And so that we at First Baptist Church Brunswick, that we would be a part of a people that would reach all the nations with the gospel. That's been my prayer. And that can be accomplished through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Uh, this year, our church's goal is to raise $52,500 uh, to keep international missionaries on the field so that we can spread the gospel. Uh, how, can you, how can you give? There's envelopes in the seat backs in front of you. Um, you can do it that way. You can go online to our church's website, firstbrunswick.com. Click on give, and it will take you to a place where you can give. Now, I'll share with you this coming Tuesday. is called Giving Tuesday. Y'all are familiar with that where you will be hit by multiple organizations to give to their agency. Church, can I challenge you? Give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Why? Because lostness is the world's number one problem. And I ask you to give. And I'll also ask you this, to go on the mission field. Some of you students, some of you have been called to go on the mission field because you recognize that lostness is the world's number one problem. And you feel something warm in your heart. You felt it before, you may be feeling it now. Let me tell you, that could be the Holy Spirit calling you to spend your life out on the mission field. There may be some um, adults, I won't call you old like I did a couple of weeks ago, but there's some of you who have just moved into possibly the retirement age. Can I share this with you? The mission field needs you. And some of you may need to do, start a, like a second career of being missionaries. You say, well, pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm not a young buck anymore. Well, if God can use Moses at the age of 80. Amen? Give or you can go. And I want to encourage you, church, to go to uh, the International Mission Board's website, imb.org, and look at the resources there. Look at the places you can go. But let's be a church that takes the gospel to the nations. Amen? Well, I hope that you'll be that person, either to give or to go. At this time, I want you to turn your attention to the screens because we have somebody who wants to share something with us. Good morning, Pastor Chris and First Baptist Church. Greetings from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. We are the Miranda family, Danilo, Catherine, David, Daniel. Your missionaries with the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. Thank you for giving to the Lord Moon Christmas offering. 100% of your offering goes to meet the needs of missionaries on the field and help them in their ministries. Because you gave, our family was able to move to a new city in February, pay rent for an apartment, and be assigned a mission card. Because you gave, I can do high school online and prepare and go to college in the States next year where I plan to study physics. Because you gave, I can go to Rio International School where I study in English and Portuguese. Because you gave, we were able to train indigenous missionaries in the Amazon who continue taking the gospel to other indigenous groups who do not know Jesus. 
Because you gave, I can assist new missionaries learning Spanish or Portuguese by helping coordinate the language acquisition program for Latin America. Because you gave, I can serve in our local church by playing piano for the men's choir and the adolescents' choir. Because you gave, we have been able to serve on the mission field for 11 years in Mexico, Colombia, and Brazil. And graciously, because you continue giving, we are now able to mobilize Brazilians to serve as missionaries around the world. And I was able to make a trip to four African nations to facilitate partnerships between Brazilian and American missionaries. Thank, thank you, you for praying, praying for us and thank, thank you for giving. Amen. Church, thank you. Thank you for being a church that goes. Thank you for being a church that, that grows. And I do thank you for being a church that gives. I really, really, really do say thank you. And I'm thankful for you. And so this morning as we close, I'm just, we're gonna stand here just a moment. We're gonna sing. But I also ask you that you would have a position of prayer with the Heavenly Father, that you'd be willing to ask God, what do you want me to give? And where do you want me to go? Because lostness is the world's number one problem. Father, I pray that you would move among us today. Thank you for being in our midst. And we say to you, we are yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.